You got it. Apologies. Madam Clerk, Council, may I start? Yes. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the September 28th, 2022 QPSC. Uh, let's go right into a roll call, please. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. We do have a quorum. So uh, audience, uh, apologies in advance. We have a very tenuous quorum this evening. So we're, I'm going to make uh, some adaptations. We're gonna go into closed session for a very quick time for probably five, less than five minutes. Then we're gonna come out and then we're gonna actually jump into the agenda, right into consent agenda to get approval. Uh, because after that, I might be losing quorum. So uh, we have, those are our main quorum activities. So uh, when we come back into the meeting as well, we will also open up the floor for public comment as necessary. So audience, uh, begging your indulgence, hopefully this is going to be less than five minutes um, uh, and then we'll go into closed. Uh, so uh, please hang tight. Thank you, Chair Bouquet. Uh, the, Ronna, have you taken role? I'm sorry. She I did take role, yes. Okay. The board, uh, the QPSC committee of the board will now go into closed session to consider item H1 on the agenda. All right, opening the breakout room. For those of you who just joined the meeting, we uh, rearranged the agenda a little bit and gone into closed session. Um, they should be back in about five minutes. And when they get back, we will do um, uh, public comment and then I believe the consent agenda after that because we may be losing quorum. So just hold tight, everybody.
Madam Clerk, Council, are we back on? We are. Okay, so Evelyn, uh, we will, we've just returned from closed session, Council. The committee approved the medical staff credentialing reports in closed session. No other action, reportable action was taken. Okay, that was that was one of our items uh, that we needed to take care of. And again, uh, thank you for everyone accommodating us. We have tenuous quorum tonight, as I was saying before. Um, we've already taken a roll call. Everyone welcome to the September 28th, uh, 2022 QPSC. Uh, I uh, We like to open every QPSC with our statement of purpose. The purpose of the QPSC is established to provide oversight and leadership for medical staff credentialing, review of organizational policies, and monitoring of organizational quality assurance, performance improvement, and safety programs. The QPSC is charged with continuing the practice of direct communication with medical staff leaders on issues of clinical operations and patient care. Um, Madam Clerk, is there any public comment? I have none. So given that there is no public comment, I'm gonna make another uh, uh, change in the agenda. Uh, we would call this Omaha, that's an audible. Our CEO would probably like that. Let's go into uh, the consent agenda. And uh, uh, trustees, the, the consent agenda is before you, before entertaining a motion to approve the entirety of uh, the consent agenda, which is items B1, B2, B3. Does anything need to be pulled for discussion? Given that, may I entertain a motion for approval of the entirety? I'll move that we approve the consent agenda. Okay. Trustee, uh, Madam Clerk. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. The okay. motion passes. All right, we've done the official. Well, I was just gonna mess with um, Dr. Chair and pull out the policy. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone messes with me. It's so easy. <laughs> so, uh, Trustee Banerjee, uh, thank you for making any adaptations. Stay with us as long as you can. I know that you are you are doubly or triply booked. So, with that, let's go back into the uh, back into the regular items. Uh, as everyone knows, we we open up uh, every QPSC with a discussion point or an article or a learning. We've had DEI learnings as well in this uh, this month. The article. Uh, uh, that I chose was entitled Health Systems Making Suicide Prevention a Priority. You know, I, I think there's a lot of context uh, for, for our decision to choose this. A couple of brief bullet points. Physicians have one of the highest suicide rates of any profession. More than half of physicians know a physician who has either considered, attempted, or died by suicide. And now that includes this medical staff as well. Uh, we, we've been through some recent traumas and tragedies uh, uh, here. Uh, I, I know that September 18th was also a National Physician Suicide Awareness Day. So um, given this, uh, the article was to help us determine how we can support this organization in this consideration. And I'll, I'll just leave it to the floor uh, for any of our leaders to have discussion on, on this point if is if necessary or the article stands on its own trustees um i wanted to say that i appreciate the article and i appreciate the ahs's being very intentional in this area as they well should be it it and to your point um dr Caritas, uh, healthcare providers definitely have um are at higher risk because 
there, because of the caring nature of the profession, you are a caring person and you often see things that um, providers often see cases that they, they work very hard to improve and, and all that work, sometimes the outcome is not what you would hope for. And that can, can be a strain on the mental, on your mental health. So I appreciate that. I also wanted to add that um, public safety providers as well. I, it just, as I was reading this article, it occurred to me that, um, or it reminded me that recently a number of Alameda County Sheriff's deputies, some of whom may have been serving it um, at our site were released from service because they um, had, they had done mental health, um, mental health reviews that were not, re not reviewed. Mental health, I guess you would call them evaluations that were not reviewed uh, from what the news article said. And those, those, um, those public safety officers were um, seen to be at risk of these things, of suicide perhaps or other issues. So it, it really is up to the organization. I think that's what I just want to end with. It's up to the organization to, to pay attention and respond to this and ensure that, that um, people have the resources to, to be safe and healthy. Thank you for those great words, Trustee Jensen. You know, I agree with you. Part of our jobs uh, uh, as an organization is to look after one another and to be proactive in, 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 in a risk which exists for anyone in this, in this profession. Uh, I will say I am uh, so impressed and proud and, and touched by the, uh, by the reaction, uh, uh, how, we, how, how we responded from the highest levels of the organization seeing the CEO walk the halls, seeing the chief medical officer walk the halls and not to expose her with those tears in her eyes and, you know, and being sitting with her and our chief operating officer, seeing that down at the residency level and the chair and the, and the program director and all the faculty and the, and the house staff, seeing this organization come together was something extraordinary in the wake of something which was so tragic. And we're still at risk for this happening again. And uh, so this intentionality, I think, uh, I think we had a great response to it and it's an ongoing response, but I, I think this is something that uh, it, it has awakened us to continue to look forward and be proactive. Um, I think this is potential discussion maybe with our chief human resources officer at the, at the, at through the HR committee, what are the resources, how proactive are we in thinking about such concerns? Because this is real stuff. This is real stuff. So I appreciate everyone uh, considering the article. Um, so that, that's item A1. Not listed here is item A2. I'm going to take kind of chair privilege to, to give uh, our CEO a little bit of a space here. Uh, there, there's been a significant event here uh, in our hometown uh, that has now touched this organization as well. And uh, not everyone may know it. It's, this, is, this is on the news right now. Um, uh, our CEO actually just gave a public statement uh, in front of the cameras out front. Um, uh, Mr. Jackson, good evening, sir. If you'll just give us a brief update and then our thoughts uh, for all those affected. Absolutely. Um, Chair Bouquet, thank you for this opportunity. As was just shared, there was a shooting near a school in Oakland today. We received three patients from that shooting Two of those patients are currently in critical but stable condition. The third is in stable condition. And my remarks to the press essentially were, 
my heart goes out to the victims and their families. And today is a sad day for us all. Um, it was incumbent and important for me to acknowledge this team, the Highland team who responds all the time and, you know, are always at the ready to, 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 to take good care. They're the heroes who show up every day to heal our community. And then I issued a charge um, to this community. We are seeing, uh, we've seen twice as many gunshot wounds in 2022, as well as in 2021, as we have in previous years. We know that gun violence doesn't just traumatize the wounded, it traumatizes the entire community. And the challenge that I issued was to all of our leaders, myself included in this community, to lean in and to do the work necessary to try to stem the tide and to break this cycle of violence. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. So um, again, our thoughts and prayers to all those who are affected. And actually that includes us. These are our communities too. We're all affected by this stuff. Um, so Mr. Jackson, I, 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 I think speaking on behalf of the board, we, yeah, we, we need to be better. And uh, finding, our, finding AHS's way in this dialogue, I think is an important one. So I think that's appropriate for our community pillar, sir. With that, uh, uh, we will close out item A. We've already done consent agenda, so we'll jump to item C. This is where we uh, have direct communication with our medical staff leaders. Um, this evening, we're lucky to have Dr. Irina Williams, our chief of staff for the Alameda Health System Hospitals, um, Highland and San Leandro, and of, of course, Dr. Nikki Joshi, who's our chief of staff for the Alameda Hospital. So uh, dealer's choice. Um, Dr. Joshi, how are you? You look like you're working. I, I am, I am, but I luckily have a great team, especially the PAs who uh, they are helping me kind of man the ED right now while I give my report. Yes, ma'am. Um, so thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to address all of you tonight. And as been requested, we've been modifying our reports to fit in the format according to our new pillars. So for community, um, acknowledging everything that's already been said, and you are right, Dr. Piquette, this is our community. Um, our people. So um, we will continue to talk about this, not just when tragedy, tragedies occur. Uh, in terms of policy, of quality, excuse me, um, really exciting news. We launched TNK. Uh, this happened system-wide, but um, impacting Alameda Hospital because TNK is now the drug of choice for patients with acute stroke who need to be given um, uh, essentially a cop bluster. So We've been working with our stroke coordinator to make sure education is going across the um, hospital and uh, that's all gets modded regularly at our stroke committee. Um, we have been working with Ryan at the transfer center, moving more and more towards 24 seven coverage, uh, which is really an important uh, asset to our system. Um, moving on our staff and patient experience, we continue to have action plans that we initiate using the GIFT acronym. We work closely with our patient experience team. And as of July, we were at goal for most of the domains. Um, we look forward to the new program that Dr. Tornabene had mentioned in our MEC, which will move towards regular acknowledgement and recognition of our staff and physicians who are doing um, not just monumentally great work, but really great things on a regular basis. So look forward to that. Sustainability. Um, we have been working with Debbie Stebbins. There was an ask for us to draft a letter in support of their work. 
that was for the bill that's now with the governor, Governor Newsom. So it's currently at its final consideration and awaiting his signature. So we wrote a letter of support for that and we were glad to do so. Um, in the bylaws committees, um, we are excited that we have been working to move our departmental structure at Alameda Hospital to work more in alignment with AHS in terms of the departments. So previously we had three departments, emergency medicine, medicine, critical care, and surgery. And what we have been able to do is to create these following new departments, uh, which are listed. And what that does is it allows us to align more closely with how patient care is being given at AHS and allows us to continue to have more system level thinking. Uh, some other things we're working on a, um, a new workflow for how patients are moved through the emergency department. And um, beyond that, the last thing that I just want to highlight is an expansion of services, which is always really exciting, which includes palliative care and our upcoming hybrid neurology model that Dr. Gaines is spearheading. Uh, and with that, I am open to answer any questions. Thank you, Dr. Joshi. Trustees or leaders, any comments or questions for Dr. Joshi representing uh, Alameda Hospital? Scanning the room. Oh, quiet night. Thank you, Dr. Joshi. For if I could just add that- um, There we go, Dr. there we Joshi. go. <laughs> no, I don't have a question. I just want to add that um, the governor has until Friday, so keep your fingers crossed for the um, to sign or not sign. As long as he doesn't veto it, we're good. Thank you. That's an important update. So we have until Friday to keep hammering him with phone calls and postcards. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. Thank you, Trustee, uh, Dr. Joshi. Uh, with that, we'll go to Dr. Irina Williams, who represents um, Highland uh, and the San Leandro Hospital System, uh, the Alameda Health System. Good evening, Dr. Williams. Good evening, and um, thank you for the opportunity to present to this group. Um, you don't have my written report in the package because I was traveling and was able to submit the re report past the deadline. Will it be possible for me to share my screen with the report? Will that be helpful? I, I think that's acceptable. Madam Clerk, Council? You do have permission to share, so I, yeah, I mean, you, you're physically- Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, here we go. Can everyone see my screen? Now we can. Okay, okay. Yeah, so um, I'll jump right into it. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm, I'm a bit hoarse <laughs> today. Um, um, so um, jumping into our community pillar, um, I wanted to share um, with the board that our medical staff diversity, equity, and inclusion work group sort of got re reimagined into a medical staff justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion committee that we call MS Jetty, and we think this name is very cool. <laughs> Um, so um, this committee will continue to partner with Hedy on addressing patient care inequities within AHS. Um, this committee is being co-chaired by Dr. Kevin Smith and Dr. Heather Clegg. And right now we are evaluating um, if whether AHS still has any race-based calculators that are being in use and medical staff took a strong stand that we do not accept any race-based calculators to um, um, to be applied to our patients. 
So at present, there is only one calculator that still has race-based calculations. This is the GFR calculator, and this should be uh, retired over the next few months. Um, so this committee will continue to follow up on that. Um, Going to quality pillar, um, there is a new uh, newly formed simulation education operations committee. It will provide an oversight and monitoring of all simulation education programming, as well as policies and procedures of the simulation center. Um, and this committee will be responsible for guiding development and assessment of simulation-based education offered at AHS. Um, staff and patient experience pillar. Um, we, um, last MEC did receive a report from the committee on interdisciplinary practice. This committee essentially supports um, practices around our advanced practice practitioners. Um, it did a lot of work that is summarized here in the report. Some of the highlights that they are working on a number of projects and they're updating and developing a number of guidelines around advanced practice provider policy and procedure manual, a number of um, existing protocols are being updated. Um, they're updating physician assistant scope of practice in response to some recent legislative changes. So lots of work is happening um, in this committee. Um, I'm gonna scroll to the next page. Um, we still recovering from the recent tragic events that happened at AHS. I think it's been uniformly recognized that the amount of support and community feel of AHS has been really amazing. Um, a number of departments and teams are looking into sort of more creative ways of supporting each other um, uh, and making sure that we are more mindful of each other's sort of tough times. And um, for example, the Department of um, uh, Obstetrics, Midwifery, and Gynecology is currently pilot piloting a body system where um, each provider has a body and they're both sort of accountable for um, one another's uh, well-being. So um, we, you know, we're curious to learn how this system is going to work and um, um, I'm sure we'll hear some updates in a few months uh, from Dr. Smith about it. Um, we still have a few department chair search committees going. Uh, good news is that we have a number of applicants for the emergency medicine chair role. We do have a very strong internal applicant for the Department of Orthopedics chair role. Um, the Department of Radiology chair search is still um, sort of at the initial stage. Um, um, so more updates to come on this, hopefully over the next few months. Um, a few data and few numbers on patient experience that was shared uh, that was shared with the MEC um, last week. Um, uh, it appears that um, um, hospital for performance for both Highland and San Leandro Hospital are below goal. Um, Highland um, uh, uh, fiscal year 2022 performance. Um, uh, yeah, but so you, you see the numbers here, they're slightly below goal for Highland and a little bit lower for San Leandro. So there's an action plan that was put together by the Quality and Safety Committee that has a number of interventions to address that. As you can see in this report, I will highlight a few. Um, I'll continue to encourage gift um, utilization uh, for uh, provider to patient communication. Um, there are changes that are happening to nurse leader rounding, service recovery, um, 
there are a number of uh, regular reviews that are being done of patient comments and patient data. Um, there's some new um, orientation materials that will be implemented in September of 2022. Um, care transition rounds are being reinstituted. So a number of measures are being taken, uh, being incorporated to improve patient experience. Um, and lastly, the sustainability pillar, um, we're still seeing some call outs and staffing shortages. Um, a lot of them due to COVID as well as other non-COVID related illnesses. So that still seems to be affecting operations. However, um, not to an extent that we had a few uh, months ago. Um, and that concludes my report. I'm open to any questions. Thank you, Dr. Williams. Would you mind uh, bringing it back to open for us? Sure. Thank you. Thank you for that written report. It helps us uh, to kind of uh, organize things. As 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 all of us, all, all of our uh, us leaders, we know that we have kind of these pillars we've all invested in. So it's a great construct for how we see and manage the things in our organization. So appreciate you following that, Dr. Williams. Trustee Jensen, do you have any questions for Dr. Williams of anything happening at time? I mean, there's always a lot happening uh, in our system. No, uh, thank you, Dr. Williams, no questions. Okay, um, any other comments or questions for Dr. Williams? Dr. Williams, Dr. Joshi, thank you very much for uh, your contributions as always. With that, we'll close out item C, which are our medical staff reports. Now we'll go into item D, uh, which is our standard item, another standard item, patient safety, regulatory affairs, and, and our quality dashboard. Uh, this is led by our VP quality, Ms. Anna Torres. And let's of course not uh, forget the deep support system she has in Darshan Graywall, our system director of patient safety, Nilda Perez, our system director of regulatory affairs, and Annette Johnson, our quality analytics director. Good evening, Ms. Torres. You're on mute. Now it's a meeting. <laughs> All right. Um, I'd like to share my screen. Go for it. Okay. Yes, ma'am. All right. So this is a September report, um, and I'll go through it. So as far as the True North metrics, this is the template, um, which you're familiar with seeing. This has been shared by Dr. Um, by Dr. Neha Gupta and Annette Johnson at past meetings. So our report uh, will have the new metrics, baseline goals, and we'll have equity uh, deep dives. Now there is no data today because if you recall, we did change the cadence. So the report will, with the data will go to the QSC committee and the MEC for review uh, discussion and action before it comes to QPSC. So we should have a more comprehensive report on action plans by the time this report gets to QPSC. So Ms. Torres, to clarify, we've changed the cadence, which is very appropriate because for the audience and specifically Trustee Jensen, we're having some problems with things going to MEC before they went to the Quality and Safety Council. So now we're sort of realigning. So our data will probably be lack Ms. Torres, we're going to lag here about a month, which isn't a super big deal, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. And and uh, then we know what it, it it has gone through all the all the system and uh, the system uh, checkpoints. So uh, right there there are also MORs that are occurring at each of the hospitals where they will also be reviewing their data. So I think it's gonna the result is gonna be I think focused action plan and it's gonna really help to move the metrics. 
Wonderful. Sorry for interrupting. No, that's okay. Thank you for clarifying. Okay, patient safety report. So you will see here that our target is uh, 3% or less harm rate for FY 2023. And just remember, this is a different harm rate that's on our uh, True North metric report. This harm rate is for uh, related to patient safety, safety alerts. So we did exceed our goal. We were at 3.66. Um, so I think the only positive thing we could say about this is again, all of the harms that we did see were of the E category, meaning temporary harm to the patient. So we didn't see anything um, more serious. Looking a little more at the volume of risk events by month, we had 471 uh, risk events for the month of August, which is lower than we'd like to see. If you look at the past, we've been up in the 500s and that's where we wanna keep it. Um, we are pretty confident that number is gonna go up. If you recall, we've made quite a few changes to the MIDAS, um, to the MIDAS system. Uh, primarily making it easier to report so that when you're in the patient's medical record, you can fire off a safety alert if need be. Um, so we really expect this number to go back up. Um, here's the volume of patient relation events by month. And here we did have 111 um, patient relations events the month of August. So that's quite a bit higher than what we had seen in the past. Uh, patient relations events are com complaints um, and grievances and also compliments. Greater than 90% of these 111 were grievances. So we did the drill down and we looked to see they were primarily quality of care issues, uh, patients concerned with uh, the treatment that they were receiving, patient access, um, in other words, waiting, waiting, waiting for appointments, for procedures, uh, referrals, professionalism, uh, which was the rudeness and disrespectful behavior and communication. Um, so other than that, there were really no trends with any department. It was just, you know, across the board. So we will continue to monitor this closely um, and see if there's anything additional that we can do uh, to impact that more favorably. And then the culture of safety, um, if you recall, so we've done the debrief. Um, we're doing pretty good with this. 100% of the debriefs were conducted by the departments. Action pass, I believe this is now at 100%. I think the last few stragglers came in, so everyone's developed action plans. Um, we're now at step five where these action plans are being implemented and uh, the departments will monitor the effectiveness of those action plans. So they have until December to complete this step. And next month, Darshan will be presenting a comprehensive report on the culture of safety at the board meeting. Um, as far as regulatory affairs, here is the activity. We're really happy we had no complaint visits from CDPH and also no complaints from uh, the Joint Commission. We did have a lot of activity around reportable events. So for CDPH, there were nine events that were reported. And for the Joint Commission, there were three sentinel events that were reported. Um, RCAs have been conducted. There are action plans um, that are either developed or being developed and tracked through the Quality Committee. Um, as far as surveys, we are still waiting for the EMTALA survey. 
it was supposed to have occurred sometime in May um, and they haven't come out. We're afraid to, to take this off and say they're not coming and then they will come. So we don't know what's happening um, with the survey, but we're, we're still in that window. Uh, Joint Commission, as you know, we're expecting by February 2023. And in preparation for that visit, we do use uh, Joint Commission resources consultants that come on site and do assessments and provide a report for us. And we did have assess an assessment earlier this month. So I am going to pass um, this over to Nilda, who will talk a little bit about these um, the assessment. Are there any questions for me before I hand it over to Nilda, or we can take questions at the end? Yes, ma'am. Let's take questions at the end if that's okay. Okay. So I will stop sharing so Nilda can share. Good evening, Ms. Perez. I think you're on mute. My apologies. I thought I was switching over uh, very stealthily, but apparently I did not. <laughs> I will do so right now. Thank you. Okay, let's just make this a little bit larger so you can see. Okay, so um, I'm just going to do a brief summary on uh, in the interest of everyone's time and just speak a little bit about the on-site visit. We had some good engagement, the strengths of that visit by our Joint Commission Resources Consultant. It was an extremely positive visit in terms of engagement, in terms of learning, in terms of opportunity um, to see what we could do better and also to um, test out and ask questions about things that we've been working on as part of our continuous readiness work. Uh, so our regulatory readiness. So the strength that we've had that they did note was staff engagement. And one of the things that even our CEO commented in the exit was how, I, um, how a fulfilling it was here that uh, staff actually gravitated toward the regulatory team when they were with the consultant to ask questions, to hear what was going on, um, and that that was something that she said she typically does not see. Uh, so nice people just, and, and, and that has not been the culture in our past. So to see that change was really gratifying. Uh, one of the other things that was also they called out is a lot of improvement work and a lot of heavy lifting uh, that's been taking place in two of our most vulnerable areas in the ORs, across the ORs and across SPD. Uh, all of the OR staff and SPD staff could speak to work that they've done, work yet still to come, but really that commitment. And so that was really gratifying. We still have some opportunities in some key areas around high level sterilization and disinfection. And it is just not relegated to SPD and ORs. It's actually procedural areas, it's like exam rooms, it's any area where we're doing procedures. And so that's something that we need to work on. Our, uh, we have some challenges with probes and scopes and how we are um, managing them. And essentially, I think it falls under the large umbrella of just transferring equipment and how we manage it, the storage, the cleaning, the processing, it's all one big circle of management to prevent infection and harm. And that's something that we are working on. And then also we've had some opportunities around our ability to uh, speak to the uh, suicide prevention assessment and screening and that documentation. So we've got some opportunity in those key areas. But um, all the findings that we had, temperature humidity monitoring was another area. All of the individual findings that we've had, some medication management issues, they're all gonna be broken out into the next steps uh, when, uh, box, which is we've got some rapid performance improvement plans that need to go into effect. And so um, these findings have been broken down into the leader groups to uh, address, and that is environmental care, infection control, provision, uh, provision of care and leadership. 
And so the regulatory team will be reaching out to those leaders, uh, ELT, uh, ELT members who lead those respective groups and work with them on bringing members together uh, across the system to talk about some of these corrective actions and put those into place. And so we're also doing some enhanced education at this time around breakfast briefings across the Joint Commission chapters. And we're also doing our lunch and learns, which have been getting some very good attendance. I have to say uh, there's uh, an eagerness to learn and people are participating. We've been going out and doing tracers. You'll be seeing that uptick quite a bit in the next month. Um, and uh, really talking to leaders and making sure that we have the right, working with our education team, making sure that we have the right competencies and onboarding education there. So um, as a reminder, my next slide will be that this is our window. We're in it, we're working on it, uh, no surprises, and um, we are confident that we'll get there. That's my end of my show. Thank you. Wonderful. What's next, Ms. Torres? Oh, we're done. All right. I'll, I'll take questions if there are any. W wonderful. Um, Trustee Jensen? None? Um, Ms. Torres, a question. Uh, you know, let, let's talk about uh, our harm events, our E through I, just to remind everybody. And, and uh, our internal trend is, uh, when you stretch it over time, is definitely one showing organizational improvement. How do organizations of our size benchmark ourselves against other organizations with regard? Is this 3.49 rate, is that good relative to others? How do we benchmark versus other organizations? Well, that's a good question. And I might be putting Annette here on the spot. I don't know if Annette has a question. I have not seen an answer. I have not seen a benchmark of this type. So what I have seen is that organizations usually benchmark against themselves. Yeah. So you, you find your rate and you just try to best that rate every year. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's really difficult because we are classifying our own events and, and organizations classify them differently. Yeah. So the best we can usually track, I think, is the harms that are in the True North metric report with um, you know, the ones that are published. Annette, do you have anything to add to what I said? I would agree with um, Anna. I spent a long time trying to research how to benchmark uh, self-reported safety alerts, and there isn't really um, organizations seem to keep that data internal um, where I can like falls and happy, which uh, we align with our safety alert reporting with the standards that are sort of used in NDNQI and stuff like that. So we could benchmark those specific events, but overall on all safety events, there doesn't seem to be an industry standard definition yeah. and therefore there's not benchmarks, unfortunately. So I guess my bigger question is, if our goal was to de declare ourselves one of the safe safest organizations, not only in the Bay Area and the country, which I think should be a goal of ours as we seek to become the best safety net organization in this country. How, how, how do we come to that? How do we come to be able to make that statement if we can't benchmark against others? I, I think on the True North metric, as we start seeing those harms go away, there are hospitals that have zero collapses, zero yeah. bodies. So we have to get to that point. Um, and we have to get to the point where we really declare 
that we're going to be a zero harm organization, knowing full well that we may have harm, but our yeah. goal is to have zero and, and investigate every single one of them. It's becoming a high reliability organization. So I think as we get closer to that, we can start to say that we're, we're inching towards that goal. Yes, and, it, and it's never done, right? We will yeah. never be completed. This is work that goes on forever. Yeah. So uh, th- those are some standard metrics, but I, you know, I challenge us all, myself included, to say, man, man we, want, we want to be the safest organization in the country, you know? Um, uh, and, you know, it, 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 then it, t- it comes down to the quant, right? How do, how do we quant that? We have our own uh, internal E through I metrics. You're right. There's some variance versus other organizations who might qualify, but there's still the standardization of E through I. Uh, I, I think these are great contemplations about, I think this organization is now in the place where it's not unrealistic to say that we could be on this pathway. And uh, how, do we, how do we quant that out are, are big questions. Uh, uh, Ms. Lofton, then Dr. Tornabene, and then I, I think those are the hands I have. Uh, sorry, Dr. Lofton, Dr. Tornabene. Hi, thank you. Um, I just wanna say that, um, uh, in regards to Indian QI, um, we are looking to uh, to participate in Indian QI. Um, Anna and Annette have been helping um, have those conversations and researching the data uh, or researching the opportunity. So I just wanted to mention that. I think um, uh, what Anna said was very accurate as far as what we're doing now, but we are looking to be able to benchmark ourselves nationally throughout the um, country. So that's that that that's definitely great news as we try to quant our our position. So thank you, Dr. Lofton. Dr. Tornabene, hi. Hi. I, yeah, just to add on on the harms, I think that that going to it, um, you know, really setting our sights on becoming a zero harm organization is something that we can and should absolutely do. And and I think that that mindset was part of the thought process behind putting harms, not a harm rate, but total harms on our true North metric dashboard. We want to see the harms that we are causing to our patients and eliminating them. And so, you know, at the highest level, um, we're, we want to go from an organization where there's hundreds, even thousands of harm events and driving that down, whether they're related to, you know, falls or, or whether they're related to central lines, we'll be hearing a great presentation later. Um, but all of that, um, having that drive even from our True North metric da- dashboard and then cascading it through the organization, it feels like an important and, and exciting thing to be doing to really be an organization. It is possible to have zero harms. It takes constant work and vigilance, but it, it is possible. Thank you. What inspiring uh, dialogue to have, right? That we can contemplate these things where, you know, a few years ago we wouldn't even even contemplate it. That would have been a laughable discussion, um, but it's not so laughable uh, given where we are right now. Um, someone has their hand up, but they are just identified as iPhone. I, 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 apo- I, I apologize, Doctor. Oh, Buchanan. I recognize Dr. the voice. Hi, Doctor. <laughs> I, I knew the voice as soon as you start. Hi, Dr. Yes, um, I, I love this conversation. Um, and I think as an organization, we have to continuously be transparent and um, uh, communicate the harm in a very um, uh, 
non-punitive manner in more systemic improvement, you know, continuous performance improvement. And the more we can do that, the more we can uh, socialize all of the efforts that are being put forth by many, many, many people in the organization. So I think, yes, we have seen significant improvement because our harm rate was over 6% just a few years ago. But again, like uh, Anna and Dr. Tornavene said, it's a continuous process every single day. Um, ironically, uh, when we do look at different harm events, it's um, a little uh, discouraging, perhaps is a good word, but sometimes when we invest a lot of time and energy and similar events keep reoccurring, then it's like, okay, we have to pause and we've got to do something really serious now because our interventions are not working. So we need to elevate it to a higher, maybe a structural change or something. So, um, and, and those dialogues are very collegial and, um, and people are ready to make those changes. So yeah, there is a huge difference than where we were at a few years ago. So I'm really optimistic about the future. I'll, I'll say there's a huge difference in the year that I've been here. Um, we had an RCA this afternoon and there was a lot of engagement. Um, I, I think Dusty's here. Um, she made some great statements about how things were not acceptable the way they are and things needed to change, which is, it's just a difference um, in, in what's acceptable. The culture is changing and I see that. And, and although we are having repeat events, which is frustrating, we, I can clearly see the shift in the culture and the shift in what will no longer be tolerated. So it, I'm, I picked on Dusty because I know she's going to be speaking uh, next on CLAPSI, which I think is, a, is another great program that Annette and Christian uh, started and, and Dusty and nursing just jumped right in and partnered with quality. And we're not where we need to be with the data, which Dusty will share. But we're certainly on our way and the team is making some inroads. So we're, we're seeing things change. Um, the data is not there yet, but there's certainly a shift that I see. Well, that's, that's certainly great to hear. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be hearing from Ms. Gilliland in, uh, in two items. So we look forward to hearing the report. Uh, you know, this is all team sport, right? Everyone moves, everyone carries the chains down, you know, another half yard or another yard and then we're in the end zone. So um, appreciate always the quality team. Um, we have a joint commission uh, visit coming up sometime within the next quarter. So we still got to keep our game face on a little bit. Remember uh, audience, uh, Alameda Health, sorry, Alameda Hospital has already gone through their joint commissioning. This is for Highland uh, and San Leandro. What I think I heard from Ms. Perez is she has confidence in, in our progress and the joint commission resources has actually, it, from my impression, uh, Ms. Prez, seems to have been a worthy investment. I, I agree, I do. I think we've got some other opportunities. Um, yes, I think the JCR, even just the ability for them to help us look at things through another lens and their experience around the nation with other safety net facilities um, at places in a similar setting as our, our health system is really helpful. 
Uh, Ms. Perez, can you advise, uh, 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 will these be unannounced? Do they, I, I can't recall, do they give us a window? Do you anticipate this will be an old school five-day visit? Are they gonna be, give, give us a little bit of details as we close out this session. What we know right now is that the Joint Commission is still trying to get caught up from being behind due to the pandemic. Okay. They anticipate they put uh, they anticipate that they will be caught up by the end of the year, which means that they would come on time for anybody who's yet to be surveyed. So if we look at what our experience was with Alameda Hospital, we should have been surveyed last November. We were actually surveyed this June, almost eight months late. Okay. So. We were, are not late, we're still in our window. So if they get caught up by the end of the year, then we would anticipate we would see them like either January or at the beginning of February, because our window closes at the end of February. We do anticipate a full five day visit with a with maybe, maybe even two life safety uh, folks. And we will have a behavioral health specialist as well as the general team. And will they, uh, the, uh, since we're in the window technically now, they could come anytime. This remind me that they give you like a 30 day. How, how do you how do you hone your team down to like they're coming within three weeks or something like that? I, I, I wish I could. Uh, yeah. No notification. It is unannounced. Okay. Yeah. Last time we had them, they came. Eight, I believe it was eight months early for us the last yeah. time. Right. So, uh, there is no indication. No one is that um, that I've spoken to has been surveyed early. Um, everybody's been behind and some people are close to their window, but nobody's actually hit like the typical three to four month window. Okay. Well, thank you to your team. And I want to remind you, your trustees will be available to you because I know there's leadership set, uh, sessions and the like. So your trustees are available to you when, when, when they arrive. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, all right, everybody. With that, we'll close out item D. Um, item E was uh, introduced as a short item. It's too bad that it's short because uh, we always like to hear um, from Richard Espinoza. This is an update on the post-acute, it's a quality update. Everyone recalls that Mr. Espinoza is our CAO for post-acute. We haven't heard from him for a little while in the QPSC, so glad to have him back. Good evening, Mr. Espinoza. Good evening, thank you for having me, everyone. Um, Rana, if you wouldn't mind sharing the slides to start, that would be great. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I'm sorry, I'm not prepared, one moment. Oh, I can start with mine if you'd like. Go for that, it. Yeah, that would be great. Okay. Uh, not the order I was going to share, but I'm going to share something um, a little more granularly than I do. And hopefully I can do it in four minutes and, you know, 90, uh, 50 seconds. But uh, we'll give I you some latitude. Sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. I normally share our overall star ratings for our buildings, but I, I wanted to give a little more context as to what goes into this um, because. The Alameda sites have been five-star rated for eight years now in a row, which first is incredibly remarkable to have an achievement like that because all three buildings need to be equally as stellar in order to receive marks like this. And so I wanted a chance. So as you can see here, we're five stars in every category possible for the three Alameda sites. Um, and so I wanted to go with a little granularity, just what goes into this. And so, CMS changes these quality measures and currently they're changing them every six months. And what they're doing is they are increasing the threshold so that buildings need to become better. It's to help them focus on their quality measures. And so we keep very close tabs on where we are, where we have opportunities for improvement um, and where we're doing well. 
So I'm going to keep going. What is included in this is we have to submit what's called a PBJ data, which is the payroll-based journal. It's every minute our staff work in the building every day for the quarter. And so they calculate that against our uh, census for the buildings, calculated against the required PPD, which is per patient day ratios, turnover, administrator numbers, RN hours, and that's how they get the five-star rating for staffing. So it's a very detailed process. Um, imagine every minute of uh, all of your hours calculated and captured and submitted uh, quarterly to uh, CMS is uh, for over 600 employees is a task. Uh, next, I will share our health inspection category. So under health inspection, they look at three cycles of surveys. They look at three years of complaints, as well as the focused infection control inspections and incorporate that into a calculated number. So when you look at the three sites in Alameda, their cumulative score for three years is 20 points, which is unheard of <laughs> uh, for three buildings. And so we are, as you can see in the five-star category here, which is zero points to 30 points and zero points meaning a building over the course of three years would have zero deficiencies year after year after year, which in my 27 years of doing this, haven't seen that yet, but <laughs> maybe possible. Uh, so lots goes, lot of data goes into the calculations into uh, the information that's sent. But since this is quality, I wanted to share on some more specific data on some of the metrics that we look at. And two that I wanted to focus on are these two at the, at the bottom section here, percentage of residents who receive an antipsychotic medication. Um, our quarter for quarter average is 6.7. California is 10 and the United States is at 14.5. So we are well below. Uh, not only California, but what's happening throughout the United States. And a lot of that has to do with uh, our physicians have phenomenal training. Our social workers and our activity directors and our nurses all have other interventions that we use. Um, we want to do the less restrictive first before we try anything else. And I think we have very strong programs that demonstrate that. The other is this percentage of residents who need um, for help with daily activities that has increased. We're at 5.4, uh, California's at 7.9, US at 14.6. So in a lot of these metrics, we are doing much better um, than California and national averages. And so you can see here under long stay quality measures, we're at five stars. There are two others that I wanted to share here, which is our percentage of residents who were re-hospitalized after a nursing home admission. So once we receive a, re a patient into the nursing home, how quickly do they go back to the hospital, which is readmission to the hospital, which potentially can cost the hospital funding. Our score is 10.2%. California score is 21.9% and the United States is 22.1. We are 50% less than the California score. And then for percentage of residents who have an ED outpatient visit, we're at 9.7, very close to the state average, and 11.1, which is the US, so better than uh, the national average. So you see here short stay and long stay is uh, better than, uh, it's the highest score you can get. Lastly, I'm going to share three more and then I will move on. 
Um, one is percentage of residents who lose weight. We want to be cautious of that for side effects of medication intake. We're at 1.8%, California's at five, US at six. Percentage of residents who have depressive symptoms, we're at a, uh, our quarterly average, or four quarter averages, 0.8. California's at 4.6, US at 7.5. And the last one, residents who receive an anti-anxiety or hypnotic. We're at 10.1, California's at 13.9, US at 19.5. So I'll stop sharing here. So all that, um, and then Rana, if you can help me get to our slides, that would be great. To share a little more granularly what goes into the five-star ratings and how complex they are. Uh, next slide, please, Rana. So this is what I just shared. Uh, so now you have a, a better understanding of what goes into this. Next slide. This is our Fairmont overall four stars. You can see now with a little more granularity under health inspections, they've had a few deficiencies that stay on until the next survey, which they are due for survey any day now. So once they have survey, I have high confidence that will go back up to five stars. Next slide. I wanted to share a little bit about Prescani for our acute rehab unit. The, this is our data for July that we received in August. Uh, wanted to point out our overall score at the top. We are at 99.87%. Uh, all other hospitals that are in the database score are at 92.18%, which puts us in the 99th percentile. Uh, and then I would invite you to look under that mean score and there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 100 scores um, and 195.83 on staff prominence, which gives us another opportunity of something to work on. Um, and so on the right-hand side, you can see for all of these categories, we're in the 99th percentile. So a phenomenal job by this acute rehab team from the nurses, from the rehab team, from the physicians. Um, to really the social workers to have scores that um, reflect numbers like this is incredible. Next slide, please. So the three Alameda sites had, we recently had our annual recertification survey. Uh, it's been three years since we've had survey and it's because CDPH had stopped doing surveys because of COVID. So this was a big milestone for us because it was our first survey with EPIC. We had never had that before. And so there were a few little bumps in the road, but um, the system that we helped out EPIC create was one that aligned with the regulations, both state and federal, which provided us a product that allows the state to see the great care that these three buildings are doing. The three sites had six findings in total. The average number of citations in the United States is 8.3 and in California is 14.4. So well below 50% of what other California buildings are getting for one building. Mind you, this is three buildings that were surveyed. One of the deficiencies um, I say doesn't count because it's an automatic deficiency we get every year for the square footage waiver that we need for South Shore. So every year they have to give us a deficiency so we can apply for the waiver. So really, five deficiencies for three buildings, which is about 1.6 findings per site with nine surveyors crawling all over our buildings for four days, including a pharmacist who is watching medication administration, med pass, med storage, 
temperatures of the bedrooms, temperature of the medications in the refrigerators, uh, black box warnings, everything that goes with that. And so having nine surveyors for almost a week, um, and they said they were gonna stay for five days and they chose to leave a day early based on the findings that they found. So I couldn't be more proud of this team for a survey that is just incredible when you compare it and benchmark it against other buildings in the United States um, and in California. Next slide. Uh, my last slide is um, we had a phenomenal program uh, thanks to Jessica Pitt and Mica Michaela Hayes with Health Path where we had 12 students um, with Alameda College who started a CNA training program and they worked with our Park Ridge building to do their clinicals at Park Ridge. So it was an incredible opportunity for our CNAs, our clinical teams, our leadership at Park Ridge to share what being a CNA looks like, what care looks like, how delivery of care uh, is. Um, and you can see our resident council president uh, in the photo who was very involved in sharing with the students what it's like to be a resident in a SNF, what's important to a resident in a SNF, um, and to really help the, this next generation of caregivers bloom. Um, and hopefully once they take their exams, which uh, should be happening by now, um, we'll be able to recruit some of them. And so just an incredible thing to see um, the sharing and embracing of knowledge uh, and teachings um, from our care providers to uh, the care providers of tomorrow. Next slide is just questions. Thank you. Will you open it back up to us, Mr. Thank you for that presentation, Mr. Espinoza. Trustees, any questions? Trustee Jensen, any questions for Mr. Espinoza? Um, I have no questions. I know. I know. I'll all of the great work that Richard and his team do. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, I appreciate the presentation because I want everyone on the board and everyone who's watching this meeting and um, in the system to recognize what an asset these um, post-acute, these post-acute sites are and the, the um, post-acute staffing is for AHS. Thanks, Richard. Thank you. Thanks, Trustee Johnson. Mr. Espinoza, you said that we've been five stars for eight years. Is that correct? The Alameda sites uh, have been five stars for eight years. Um, what were we before that in nine years ago? Do you know? Uh, when I first came on board, they were two stars. How long have you been with the organization? Ten, ten years. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Um, so, uh, interesting for audience, isn't it? Uh, Mr. Espinoza, what, what are threats to maintaining five-star? Uh, what threats do you see to your ability to maintain us as a five-star organization in post-acute? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, one of the caveats is that to be able to maintain that even through COVID, right? So with COVID, we have staff who are out ill, we have residents who become ill, we have processes that are so um, they're, they're great, they keep people safe, but we are testing staff in our outbreak buildings twice a week. Uh, lots of monitoring, lots of data, lots of benchmarking. I think uh, regulatory activity that we manage and see um, you know, is always something we put at the forefront to make sure that we're delivering the best care possible. Uh, COVID is something that we're looking at. And, and you know, I, I've had the pleasure of having two of our uh, administrative fellows with me for the last few weeks. 
And they've been able to see that within the last two weeks, CMS has changed the rules about four times uh, around COVID and things of that nature. So it is a forever moving target that we have to stay on top of and educate and train. And, and not only the leaders have to stay on top of it, but we have to make sure that that information gets to everybody so that everyone knows what the new regulations are, how to manage those, um, and how to help our residents get the best care and visitors. So I think COVID is a big one that we look at. Um, I think recruiting is a big one. I think a lot of nurses have left. Uh, I shared an article with ELT uh, this week that 300 nursing homes have closed since 2016, and there's an anticipation that four, 400 more were closed this year um, with reimbursement structure issues and COVID. Um, so it's becoming a, a difficult space to be in. Um, I also sit on the Alameda, Alameda County Public Health Subject Matter Expert Committee, and some of our buildings in our county are running at 50% occupancy because they don't have the staff to fill their beds. And so that becomes a challenge for our hospitals for throughput, right? Um, so there are post-acute has been uh, hit very hard with COVID. Um, so I, I would say that's probably one of the biggest factors in reimbursement. As always, Mr. Espinosa, thanks for your presentation. You set the high, set the bar high for our organization. So keep it up, sir. Great, thank you. With that, we'll close out item E and we'll go into item F, the last open agenda item here. This is a standing agenda item for us. It's a quality improvement project or process. Uh, this one's actually Dr. Tornabene's uh, uh, dealer's choice. This evening, she has picked um, reduction of central line associated bloodstream infections for those uh, who speak the parlance well, which is not me, clabsy. I love when people say the words, but these are these are what that clabsy thing means. And uh, we're, we're uh, very pleased to have Dusty Gilliland, who's our VP of Patient Care Services, uh, presenting this topic for us. Good evening, Ms. Gilliland. Good evening, thank you. Um, so I should share my screen, yes? Yes, ma'am. Rana, do you have these slides? Oh, there we go. Can you see? Got it, we're good to go. Right, it wasn't it wasn't accepting. So for those of you I don't know, I'm Dusty Gilliland. I'm the Vice President of Patient Services here at Highland. Um, as you mentioned, it's as always been an eventful day here at Highland and a tragic day in our community. So I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to shift the focus for a minute and talk about some of the quality work we're embarking on. Um, in our alignment with our strategic plan, staff and clinicians have identified the need to contribute to quality with a focus on the prevention of central line associated bloodstream infections. In the hospital, we refer to this as a CLABSI. No one likes to hear the word CLABSI. Basically, a CLABSI is an infection related to having a central venous catheter. Um, central lines are used in situations where we need something more durable, generally for severe illness or um, longer term use. Um, it's a known complication. Eclabsy is a known complication of a central line. And these, these infections have a high cost burden, about $46,000. And most cases can be preventable with proper technique, surveillance, and management. 
Um, given the prevalence and quality and cost of eclabsy, there's a national focus on reduction and prevention. This is a focus of the CMS, the Joint Commission, and LeapFrog. It is publicly reported. Our, our performance is publicly reported, and it, it incurs penalties, and it affects incentive programs. So in order to get a clapsy, you have to have a central venous catheter. So where are we? We're not exactly where we want to be. Um, in 2020 and 21, we had more than expected number of infections. We were headed in the right direction, but um, currently we have identified five CLABSI events, four of those here at Highland and one at Alameda. We also have three more currently under review. What does that mean? Well, when an infection is, is potentially associated with a central venous cat catheter, then it gets reviewed from a clinical perspective to see if it's truly related to the line or if there's another cause of infection. So what contributes to, what contributes? What do we look at? How do we prevent this? Well, first we look at, is the line indicated? Often the line is indicated at the admission and then it requires daily review to see when we can get the line out. That is your primary means of prevention, right? Is to discontinue that line. We also want to make, our, make sure our dressings are clean, dry, and intact, that our tubing and our bags are labeled with a date and a time. That's to assure that we change them at the right intervals to, pre to um, prevent bacterial um, growth. And then swab caps on each port. Those are alcohol impregnated caps on every port of the line to have a closed system that is only prevents infection. Another um, and another uh, thing we do to prevent that isn't tracked here is our CHG baths. That's something that is a newer intervention that we have implemented in our ICU that will be rolling out to the rest of the house. So you see here our goal, the target is 95%, and we've struggled to hit that 95% consistently. I still think we do a pretty good job, but obviously we have work to do to get to zero on. So this is what we, we talked to staff, we did rounds, we, we discussed this in our work groups. What are the reasons? What are the barriers? Why can't we um, hit our compliance targets? Well, there are a lot of barriers. It's busy, unpredictable environment. We get interrupted a lot when providing care. I already mentioned the lack of um, date and time on our bags and lines. There was not a complete bundle in EPIC for documentation. There wasn't an easy way to take a glance and be able to have it, a good look at surveillance. Um, lack of standardized handoff among clinicians. Uh, forgetting to document in EPIC, human factor. We get busy, we forget. Um, swab caps were not easily accessible. CHG bat is not standardized. Sometimes we just don't have what we need to do the work. Um, there's been a, a lack of training and education over the last couple of years for many, many reasons. It's time to do a refresher on what many of us already know, but we can always use refreshers. refreshers. It's been a lack of accountability at times, resources not available, lack of an escalation process when you need help. We've had staffing challenges. Staffing challenges usually mean we're piecemealing shifts together, increases handoff, and information gets lost in communication. And handle. Um, psychosocial basis, I think bias. I think sometimes we get we get complacent and it's a known complication and we don't do our best to prevent a known complication. 
So where do we start? That was a lot of stuff, right? Where do we start? What do we do first? Well, one of the first things we wanted to do was to create a report, a report that will pull every device in the house for an easy, you know, one-shot shop where you can take a look and see where the device is, what is the indication, is it still necessary, and how are we doing with at least the documentation of compliance to the bundle that at least gives you an idea of where to start, right? If we're not documenting, are we doing? Let's go to the bedside, let's talk to the nurse, let's talk to the physician and see where the gaps are and then work on getting compliance with documentation as well as, as actual um, compliance with the, the bundle. So the report is in uh, production currently. We hope to have that available very soon. Um, we were discussing whether or not to let, add tubing line change date, and we just met this week, and we have requested that to be added to the, uh, the report. The next slide is just a summary and kind of breaks it down into what we're doing. Goal is reduction and prevention. Primary drivers first. First thing you want to do is get the line out if it's not necessary. So really, really looking deep at utilization and device necessity really making sure everybody's clear on what supports the need for a line. And if that need is not supported, what are alternatives for treatment if we need alternatives? And then once we've identified that line needs to remain in, what is the plan for maintaining the bundle? The bundle is what prevents infection. So where are we going? First, we need to do education, make sure everybody's on the same page, understands the um, utilization, what supports utilization and can speak to it and can escalate barriers to getting the line out when it needs to come out. This daily report will help us keep an eye on that. Um, it will create a standardized audit process and it will set clear expectations for everybody to utilize the report. Um, we will also be reporting any lines of extensive duration or without indication that are safety huddles so there's transparency and that we have a process for assuring follow-up. Dressing changes are super important when we've identified that we truly do need this line. And sometimes it's, we label the date and time on the dressing with a sticker. These stickers can fall off. Some nurses forget to identify the date that it was changed. So just creating a standardized day. Every Sunday, we change the dressing. It's due every seven days. We do it every Sunday. There's no confusion over when it's done, when it's due or when it's last done. Also, we expect an expectation of changing them whenever they are soiled. CHG baths, this is for hexidine bath. It's an antiseptic, and it is something that we use daily in our ICU, but we have not spread that practice to all patients with lines out on the floor. So we will be spreading that to step down at the med course. Adding the complete bundle to the flow sheet also gives a visual cue for the nurse that all those are all the elements that need to be completed to maintain um, the bundle compliance. We're gonna create tip sheets and visual cues. So if you're in a patient room, you have a central line, there'll be a tip sheet, a visual cue on the door. So when the nurse comes in, there's a visual reminder, I need to make sure I'm doing bundle compliance with this line. So summary, um, creating, we've already created the multidisciplinary work group. We have physicians and nurses engaged infection preventionists are working with us as well as our quality team really have to give Annette and Christian um, kudos for getting this all started and kicking this off in the right direction. Um, the electronic report will really give us um, an easy way to keep an eye on where the lines are and what the status is of the lines. 
improvements in the epic flow sheet and makes documentation easier. It's also a visual cue of what needs to be done each shift. And then creating a process to support transparency and reporting and follow up on all lines that do not meet criteria or lack compliance and funding management. Now, as I was sitting here listening to this tonight, I realized I should have made one more slide. While it's important that we focus on where we have gaps in the prevention of harm and where we cause harm, I also want to recognize and celebrate the wins. Our med tele floors have really done a fantastic job of preventing harm. It's been under the leadership of Fefe Tequame. Ninth floor has gone 1,310 days without a collapse. The eighth floor has gone 542 days without a collapse. And the seventh floor has gone 461 days without a collapse. So I know that we can do this, and um, I'm confident that we can get to zero harm. Thank you very much. Any questions? Well, uh, thank you for that presentation. If you don't mind shutting down those slides so we can all see each other. And then I'll open up for questions. Um, Trustee Jensen, do you have any questions? So I, I, I love that there's benchmarking um, on, on this item and this is sort of on our dashboard because it allows us to answer the question, where do we sit relative to others? Ms. Gilliland, are there organizations which have zero collapses? I, I would have to look to Ms. Torres for that. I know that they can go a long time without collapses. I think the real question is for how long, right? Yeah. I think if we can get one department to 1,310 days, then we can get our facility. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty good. Ms. Torres, are there, do you know of organizations which have zero collapses? Yes, they do exist. Um, they'll go maybe a year, year and a half without a collapse. So eventually there will be one, but yeah, they can go for over a year without a collapse. Apologies, I can't remember where we sit uh, on, on relative to others on this on this uh, particular metric. We our performance is worse than the fiftieth percentile currently. I'm sorry, Annette, say that one more time. Our performance is worse than the 50th percentile currently. Okay, we're in the 50th percentile. Okay. Uh, what's the best we've ever been? Well, we had, before we had these last, um, what, three or four, we had gone a few months without a clapsy. Okay. I, I want to say maybe five months without a clapsy. Um, so, so we had gone quite a bit and there was a particular piece of the, the process that did fail. We had, um, you can talk about this, an ICP who was doing the uh, rounds every day and then that person left um, and that process sort of fell apart. So one of the things that we're fixing um, as part of this team is hardwiring processes so they're not person dependent. Yeah because we can't have the whole process fall apart when someone leaves. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Well, I, I, I certainly appreciate the attention given to this. And this is, this is uh, as Dr. Tornavene asserted, uh, this is a quality improvement uh, project, which is showing uh, some great, uh, uh, great inklings of, of success. And it would be great if we were in, a, in the 95th percentile. And uh, it looks like uh, everyone's motivated to get us there. 
So with that, I think I'm going to close out this report. Ms. Gilliland, thank you very much for that presentation. And um, we have so much more quality work to do here, don't we, Dr. Tornabene? Um, with that, that closes out the open uh, session agenda items. Planning calendar, and sorry, there's one more. Planning calendar and issue tracking. Just to recall, we, uh, the QPSC, uh, will be meeting regularly. We go dark in uh, December, as the rest of the committees do. Uh, Madam Clerk, will you remind me about November, as I previously made the mistake of making QPSC the evening before Thanksgiving? Yeah, we moved, we moved QPSC this year up to the third Wednesday, so it's on November 16th. Okay. Uh, so uh, uh, I, I never uh, quit hearing about it from some of my trustees. So we will not have it the Wednesday before uh, Thanksgiving this year. Uh, so that's really just our, our forecasting. And then we'll be dark in December. So medical staff, uh, who's always been aware of that, will know how to address credentialing and the like. With that, we'll close item G. And we are done with open session items. Um, uh, Council, uh, we probably have to return back to closed session since we did an attenuated version of closed session. So I'll give it to you, sir. Thank you, Chair Bouquet. The quality committee of the board will now go into closed session to consider item H2 uh, on the agenda. Everyone have a great evening and um, be safe. Thank you.
Hi, <laughs> audience. Uh, we're returning from our closed session council. The quality committee of the board met in closed session. The quality committee took no reportable actions. Thank you. With that, we'll close our 9-28-2022 uh, QPSC. Everyone have a great evening.